Welcome to the Bethel Podcast. Thank you for taking time out of your day to spend time in God's Word. We hope that today's message blesses you and lifts you. So this morning, I want to ask you a question. It's the title of my sermon. Have you ever heard the saying or the question, was it worth it? I'm the only one. Need to redo this. Okay. Have you ever heard the question, was it worth it? Okay. So when, when you see an athlete, they just won a big championship or, or, or a big ring or a big trophy, whatever it was, you know that they put in the time and the work to get there. If you look at Kobe, Kobe Bryant, he put in the time and effort and work to get to where he was. He was the first in the gym and he was the last out. And that's why he became so great. But if you come to, to the question, if you were to ask him, was it worth it, what do you think he would say? He'd say every minute. Because when I put in the work, when I put in the time, when I put in the effort, if you ask me was it worth it, I put in the effort and the work to achieve a goal. And he had achieved his goal. So mothers in here, raise your hand. Was childbirth worth it? <laughs> some some days <laughs> some days <laughs> but was childbirth worth it every mother would say yes through that pain and that hurt and the fathers that had to endure it as well it was worth it <laughs> and all the mothers they're like no he didn't so <laughs> but it was worth it wasn't it to have these beautiful blessings walking this earth and loving Jesus it was worth it so, today, I want to walk us through a few things that, that, that ask the question, was it worth it? And how many of you know that loving Jesus is worth it? How many of you know that walking with Jesus is worth it? How many of you know that, that, that just living in his presence is worth it? So, my first thing to say today is, was your salvation worth it? It was. So let's, let's, let's look at this. So our salvation, we can all pretty much say that our salvation was worth it, can't we? But let me ask you this. Did your salvation come at a cost? It did. It came at a cost. The cost paid by Jesus on the cross that we can never repay. But there's also something else that we, we encounter in ourselves that our flesh, our flesh, it can seem like a cost to us. That when we come to Jesus, when we, when we give our lives over to God, how many of y'all know it's, it's like a sifting process? Yes? It's a sifting process. That when I come to Jesus, when I, when I accept him into my heart, there's things that change in my life, isn't there? I, I, the, some of the things that I did before, there's the pain of leaving those things behind. There's the pain of not doing those things anymore. Has anybody ever been there? Turning away from those things. Sometimes there's pain of losing family and friends. I've been there. Hang out with a different crowd when I became saved. Hang out with different people. Because my, my life no longer fit their agenda. My life no longer fit what they wanted to do and act. Because there's something about being in the presence of God and reflecting that that convicts people. The Holy Spirit does it. But they can't stand it. So there's that pain of being pulled away from the things that you want to do, the things that you like. And there's also the pain of people that will not walk beside you because you claim to know Jesus. 
because you have them in your heart. So there's that. And another thing, how many of you know that your mind is a crazy thing? Yes. <laughs> we can go to places in our imagination like wild. We can run wild with it. And do you know that changing your mind, renewing your mind, is a process of salvation? That those thoughts we used to think, that way we used to act, that we have to change that, right? Right. So let's look at a passage of Scripture. It's Romans 12, 1 through 2. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, what is good, pleasing and perfect, the perfect will of God. So even right there in that scripture, it says that when we have become Christians, it's up to, it's, it's up to us to take it to God and to know that our minds are what? Say it with me, renewed. They got it. Renewed. All right. So it's a transformation of my life, isn't it? So salvation, again, we ask, is it worth it? Two of us. Great. we we got to wake up in here. Salvation was worth it. It was worth it. Every single day of my life, no matter what I struggle, what I face, it was worth it. So let's go to Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 9. It says, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourself. It is a gift from God. Not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his work, workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good work, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So that right there tells me and shows me that in my mind, at that moment of salvation, we have a tendency, or at least I did, I'll, I'll share from personal experience, that when I became a Christian, that I had a list laid out. Did anybody ever make a list when they became a Christian? I did, okay? And that was read my Bible, pray, go to church, do this and that, this and that, okay? And what happens when I failed on that list? I struggled. Because when I didn't read or I didn't pray, I realized that that brought me down. I realized I, I felt like a failure. But when I, I gave myself over to God and understood that it isn't by works, but it's by our relationship with Jesus that I understood that his grace is sufficient, that his love is sufficient for me, that it isn't by works, but it's by the renewing of my mind and my spirit to love Jesus. So, in reading that, I can see that, now, now understand there's a place for works, but works does not determine my standing with God. So I release my works and I'm given over to grace. Let's go to Romans 8. I do a lot of jumping around, so if you can follow, that's great. Romans 8, starting in verse 38. It says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height or depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, 
that tells me right there that my salvation, the renewing of my heart, my mind, and my spirit, and my soul in Jesus Christ, it shows me that God loves me so much that he will not let me go that he holds me, that he keeps me close, that I am not let out of him, but he knows me, right? And I know him. Let's read that one more time. It says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So that shows me that my salvation was bought with a price, and that price is that Jesus loves me no matter what. He holds on to me, and he keeps me, that I have a Father that will protect me and guide me right, by, right beside him, right with him. So let's look here. Romans 8, 12, 17. So you ask again, can you, can you, can you say it? Was salvation worth it? Altogether, was salvation worth it? There we go. So let's look here. It says, So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received a spirit of adoption. By whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with them so that we may also be glorified with them. So that tells me that my salvation, again, it was bought with a price that I cannot repay, but I am bought with a price so that I am an heir with Jesus. I am a co-heir. Right? That in my salvation, it's not just something that is thrown away. It's something that I love. It's something that, 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 that through the endurance and patience, I see that I am a co-heir with Jesus. Are you seeing that? So is your salvation worth it? Absolutely. It's the love of Jesus. It's the love of Christ that is poured out. It is worth it. Salvation is worth it. So let's look at our next point. And that's where a lot of us struggle and that's, was the wilderness worth it? Have you ever been in the wilderness? Are you in the wilderness? Some of us might be there. We've all been there. We've all struggled with it. And, and, and sadly, it's a place where a lot of Christians stumble. Because we, we get salvation. We have this renewed spirit, this renewed fire in us, and we're on fire. And if nobody told you, for God ain't easy. And when we are on this mountaintop, we're up there, we're praising, we're rejoicing Jesus. We're rejoicing and giving praise to God. And then all of a sudden, what happens? We start going into a valley. And there, sometimes it seems like God is quiet, isn't it? I don't know if you've seen the movie, God's Not Dead. There are whichever one they're on now, or 10. But <laughs> it's the one where the teacher uh, mentions God and goes to court. But I love what her father says. She's like in this, in this rut in her life. She's in this point where she's just about to give up. She doesn't know what to do. And her father says something to, to her that stuck with me. He says, the teacher is always silent during the test. And that tells me that in the valley, the teacher's silence does not negate the presence. Understand. The teacher is still in the room. The teacher is still looking over you. The teacher is still seeing if you're doing what you're doing. If you're going to put forth the work and the effort to achieve and accomplish the goal. 
Just because the teacher is silent does not mean that he is not there. So in the wilderness, it may seem like we have nothing. It may seem like we're forgotten. It may seem like there's nothing there, but God is with us. If we look in Scripture, we see that the Israelites, it's a good example. The Israelites were taken out of Egypt. They crossed the, crossed the Red Sea. They're up here, right? They're praising Jesus. They're praising God. Thank you. Thank you for delivering us. And then they go into a wilderness, don't they? A wilderness season of their life where they felt forgotten. Well, where they felt like they were alone. But what does it say? It says God provided every step of the way. It says he provided a, a, a cloud of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. It provided the manna for them to eat. Provided water from a rock for them to drink. That lets me know that even in the wilderness, God has provision for me. So the wilderness is a place where I have provision. Now understand, the wilderness is not usually a place of abundance. Please get that. But the wilderness is a place of provision. That God provides in those weak moments, in those moments where I have nothing. God is my provider. He's my Jehovah Jireh. He is there. He is working. Though I might not see it or might feel it and it might not be in my time frame, God is working. So we see the Israelites again. God provided for them. He gave them manna. He gave them water. And he sustained them through that season. So, was the wilderness worth it for them? Because, you see, on the other side of the wilderness was what? The promised land. That if I endure the wilderness, it's not just about enduring the wilderness, but it's about what you learn while you're there. Because when we endure, we learn things. It builds character. It builds different things. And if you see right now, though, as they went through the wilderness, they fought battles. They had things to face. They come up against every, every opposition. And that is where Joshua learned to fight. That is where Joshua learned to lead. That is where Joshua was built up to the man of God to lead the Israelites into the promised land. So you see, the wilderness is a prepping ground for the blessing. The wilderness is worth it in my life that I may feel like I'm in the wilderness, but I know it's worth it because God is working something out in me to use in the future. That I am not left there, because understand me, a lot of us think the wilderness is life. The wilderness is not life. It's a season. Please understand that. It's a season to where we're going. If you look at Jesus, how many of you know Jesus went to the wilderness to be tested? The wilderness is a place of testing. And Jesus, not, not falling to the temptation and lies of the devil, he rebuked him with scripture and resisted the enemy. It's a place of testing. Let's go to Matthew 28, 20. And in that verse, Jesus says, I am with you. If you look at 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, it says, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And when I look at that and when I see that, I understand, like I said, that God is with me through the wilderness. He's with me in every bit of it. He's with me everywhere I go, no matter where I am. He's with me. He's with me in the quiet time, and he's with me on top of the mountain. So, again, I ask, is the wilderness worth it? Absolutely. The wilderness, is the, is the wilderness comfortable? Absolutely not. The wilderness is painful. The wilderness is hard. The wilderness is a struggle. But it's also the place of character and endurance. This brings me to my third point today. And this, this is... Uh, 
I'm going to spend a little time on this one because it's one that kind of hits home. And that's, was the pain worth it? Was the pain worth it? And a lot of times we can ask that question and look back at our lives. And everything in us wants to say no, doesn't it? Everything in us wants to say no. I had to go through this. I had to endure this. I had to be put through this because of this, for this. A lot of us can say that I don't feel like it's worth it right now. I don't feel like this pain is worth it. So let me ask you this. Have you ever been looked down upon because of your faith? I have. I've been ridiculed. I've been turned away. I've been made fun of and mocked because I love Jesus. If you haven't been there, you will at one point in your life if you walk it out. And oftentimes we feel that in the pain, we like to mistake every bit of the pain for punishment. We can get caught up in that, can't we? That the pain I feel now is punishment because of something else or something I did along the way. Let me, let, me, let me tell you, not every bit of your pain is punishment. I don't believe that. Not every bit of your pain is punishment. Because if you look at the story of Job, Job, God and the devil were having a conversation. And he said, look, he said, he said if you'll just give your servant over to me, he'll leave you. And God said, uh-uh-uh, not my servant Job. He said, you can have him. He said, you just can't harm him. You can have him. So God gave Job over to the devil to do what he, he, he so pleased. And we see that Job lost his, everything he had. He lost his livestock. He lost his family. He lost his home. He lost everything. But what did he not lose? His faith. His salvation in God. And if you look, read through the story, you see on the other side of his pain and his hurt, what did God do? He restored double what he had lost. He restored him. So if you could ask Job, was the pain worth it? What do you think he would say? Yes. That the pain and the loss, the loss uh, of life, the loss of these things, was it worth it? In the time, probably not. It didn't feel like it. Because he, he was scratching his skin off with boils. At the time, it probably didn't feel like it. But God restored and blessed him. <laughs> and Job maintained the faith. So, was the pain worth it? Yes. If we look at Paul and Silas, we, we like to talk about Paul and Silas. It's a great story. But if we could go there for just a moment, let's go to Acts 16, 16 through 24. And this is Paul and Silas in the prison. So it says, once as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling. As she followed Paul and, and as she followed Paul and us, she cried out, These men who are proclaimed to you the way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. She did this for many days. Paul was greatly annoyed turning to the Spirit and said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. When her owners realized that their hope of the prophet was, hope of the pro, a prophet was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities, bringing them before the chief magistrates. They said, these men are seriously disturbing our city, they are Jews, and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against them, and the chief magistrate stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had severely flogged them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. 
Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in stocks. So, we look at Paul and Silas. They're doing the work of God, right? They're doing the work of God. And this demon woman comes up, possessed by a demon, and Paul casts her out. He delivers her from it in the name of Jesus. And what happens? They throw him in jail. Him, him and Silas, they throw him in jail for doing the work of God. So, not only were they imprisoned, but they were beaten and flogged and stripped. So, because he casted a demon out of somebody, he was beaten and flogged and stripped of his clothing and placed in a, in a prison with shackles on his feet. He was put there. So, I can't imagine that, understand Paul and Silas have faith, but if this happened to any one of us, how would you feel? How would you feel? Sometimes you might feel forgotten. Sometimes you might feel like it ain't worth it. To be beaten within an inch of your life and thrown into a cold prison, is it worth it? So let's look, at, look, look here. Let's go to verse 25 through 29. It says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. When the prisoners were listening to them, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. Let's stop there for just a second. So what we see right there is that Paul and Silas were placed in the prison, but they had faith enough to rejoice in the prison and in the shackles, didn't they? They had faith enough that through the pain, I'm going to rejoice and call on the name of Jesus. That even though I am in this place, God is still active. He's still working. The name of Jesus is still powerful. So as they rejoiced and sang hymns, the doors flung open. And it's a great story. It's a great act of, of us seeing the power of Jesus, the power of God in life when we honor and worship him. It's a great, great thing to look at. But I want you to show Paul and Silas getting delivered from the prison was not the reason they were there. Okay? So let's look on. It says, but... Paul called out in a loud voice, this is to the guard that was about to kill himself. He said, don't harm yourself because we're all here. He said, the jailer called for the lights, rushed in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds right, right away. He and all his family were baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. So, we look at Paul and Silas. They're placed in the prison for, for delivering a, a, a woman from possession, for casting out a demon. And they're in the midst of this prison. They're beaten. They're cold. They rejoice, and they're delivered, right? And oftentimes, again, that's where we like to end the story. We like to speak about God's deliverance. We like to speak about how Jesus saved them. But one thing we have to look at and understand, again, is that the deliverance was not the, 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 the purpose. Okay? Paul and Silas were put in the prison. They were put in a place where they would be an effective witness to a guard in his household. You see, they endured the pain. They endured the hardship. They endured the beating because that is where they needed to be for that man in that place and time and his family. So, I ask you, is the pain worth it? The pain we endure in this life, is it worth it? Let's look at Romans 5, 3 through 5. It says, And not only that, but also rejoice in your afflictions, because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. 
This hope will not disappoint us because God loves, God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given, given to us. So we see that in our affliction, in our presence, in our pain, that it is what? It's good, right? It doesn't feel good, but it's good because God has a purpose. Knowing that, that, that though I am ridiculed, I am spit, spit at, I, I am whatever in the name of Jesus. I know that because I serve my heavenly Father and I have an almighty God that he loves me and that it's all, all, all for good. He so said, I can count it all as a joy. I have a bit of a personal story to tell you. And after that, I'm going to, to read something that I, I had written. And who, who likes poetry? <laughs> Three people. <laughs> great. If you like poetry, great. If you don't, just, just bear with me, okay? But the reason I felt like God led me to read this is because it, it, it reflects a time in my life when I was going through immense pain. And it reflects a time in life when I, when I felt like, looking, looking back at my life, that I had no way out. And I wrote this uh, uh, a couple years ago, looking back at that aspect of my life, trying to imagine and visualize what I was going through and where I am now. Because the Lord has brought me out of that. But... As you know, when I was in junior high and high school, I struggled very badly with depression. I struggled very badly with trying to please everybody, trying to please my parents and be, be the perfect kid. I struggled very hard with, with uh, just not knowing who I was, my identity in God. I didn't know who I was. And in that, if you've ever experienced depression, it's a, it's a painful and lonely place. As you sit there and you feel like, like, like your world is crumbling around you. And I want to share you this, share this with you. People didn't know I struggled with depression. They didn't know I struggled with these things because it was a quiet thing. And I always heard the saying, and it was repeated con continuously <laughs> by my youth pastor, and it was let go and let God. And if you've ever heard that, you understand that that's easier said than done. It is. Because it's not as simple as just, okay, I let go. No, it's a life change. It's a turning away, a complete turning away of it. So as I read this, again, this is from the aspect of when I was younger to now. It says, let go and let God, that's what they always told me. Standing at the altar, screaming in my car, Lord, help please. Only to get no answer, not even the, the slightest whisper. Disaster, that's what I am. Doing nothing, living life a scam. No one hears my words. They don't understand the tears that fall from my face. Feeling out of place while seeing other Christians set the pace. Listening to stories of healing and lives set free. But dear Lord, what about me? I pray for healing. I pray for strength. I pray for all these things. But all I ever get in return are these broken and mangled dreams. This world could live without me. Lord knows I could live without it. Sunken so far into this pit that no one, not even God, could forget. I guess I am letting go in a way, away from this hurt, away from this pain, away from this life with this cold razor stuck to my vein. Let go and let God, right? Wrong. You see, this is the one way of looking at yours and my situation. Living in self-pity and feelings of worthlessness and suffering from a severe lack of spiritual hydration. Yes, I may walk to the altar staring at the floor, but I will leave with my head lifted high looking to the Lord. 
Like David before Goliath with a sling and a stone, my faith, my trust, my hope will remain in God alone. Alone no more, for I am saved and set free by the stripes and nails that bore, the, that bore my sins for wretched old me. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, the light of the world, a city on a hill. The devil feeds lies to me only to watch me squirm, only to confirm the thoughts in my head, left for dead, tiptoeing where I tread. You see, the devil, I, the devil almost had me once, or so he might have thought. Before I am a light, a city on a hill, or did you think I forgot? I am royalty, and that makes me an heir. I am an heir, and God is my king. So forever and ever, louder and louder, I let these wholehearted praises sing. Sing never ceasing, praise never ending, glory not stopping, and love unfailing. When I walk to the altar, I wear my scars and bruises on the outside open to God, laying down this old, beaten, and tattered facade. Because there is nothing I could do, no distance I could run, that God could not come after me and call me his son. No amount of sin, anxiety, and depression could keep me from my father. Because I know my daddy loves me, and that is, that is a fact not left to ponder. So when I am faced with opposition, scared tradition, man-made rules of religion, sinking and looking for a hand, I will turn to him and let go and let God like only he can. You see, this was written out of a place of depression and anxiety and in the pit. So we see the pain. Is the pain worth it? If I look back on my life, what I encountered, what I went through, the depression, the anxiety, everything I faced, and I ask myself today, was it worth it? You will hear me say absolutely. Because in that place, I found love. In that place, I found the will of God. In that place, I found the love of God, knowing that he could take me and pull me out. So is the pain worth it? Yes. Is the salvation worth it? Yes. Is the wilderness worth it? Yes. So if you could ask Jesus that same question, were you worth it, what would he say? He would say yes. That he bore the nails, he took the cross for me. That it was worth it and he'd do it over again if he had to. But he did it once and for all and that's all that matters. So was it worth it? If you would stand with me today. So I want you to ask yourself today, as we walk through this, if this, this spoke to you in any way, if you have to ask yourself, was it worth it? Was your pain worth it? Was your wilderness worth it? I'm going to ask you to come to these altars and pray. That you seek God in these altars. And I pray that you find God. That you see that even in the wilderness, even in the pain, there are little glimpses of God in every bit of it. Because I can look back in my life and I can choose to stay in the depression. Or I can look back in my life and see the little places where God did something. Where he moved, where he acted. I thank you, God, for this time. I thank you, Lord, for who you are, dear Lord. And I pray, God, dear Lord, as, as this sermon, dear Lord, is laid on, on my heart, in Jesus' name, I pray, dear Lord, we understand, dear Lord, that you are worth it, God. That our salvation is worth it. That even in the wilderness, when it feels lonesome, God, when it feels like, like we aren't going anywhere, God, it's worth it. And I pray, Lord, that you would instill in every one of our hearts, dear Lord, every heart of the believer, every person here, God, dear Lord, that we would give ourselves over to you, God. To know that you are worth it, God. That this altar is worth it, God. The pain we feel is worth it in Jesus' name. Because you're restoring us, God. You have not left us nor forsaken us, God. You are active in our lives today. And I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Let our hearts cry out to you, dear Lord, and rejoice in your name. I love you, Lord, and I thank you, God. I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that it challenges you to dig deeper into the Word of God and grows your faith. If you would like to reach out to us, please visit our website at www.mybethel.net. Thank you.